You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to the first Best Possible Taste of the month of June 2014. I'm Sharon Noonan and I hope you've all had a lovely long weekend. We've a great show lined up for you tonight, looking at bread, talking to a Michelin star chef and we'll be finding out what is happening all over the country for the month of June thanks to our new collaboration with Fulcher Ireland. Before I tell you more about all of that, let me remind you how to get in touch with the programme. We love to hear from you and you can make contact through email s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. We're standing by for your comments, reviews, recipes and news, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Congratulations to Jan Su Guan from Dublin, who won our competition for a family pass to Bloom, compliments of Board Bia. If you were one of the thousands that visited Bloom in Phoenix Park at the weekend, you might also be planning to make a return trip to Dublin to go to Taste of Dublin. Later, we'll be hearing from Molly Hutchinson about what you can expect from this culinary extravaganza in Ivy Gardens. And we also have a competition to win tickets. So stay tuned for details coming up later in the programme. There's a report from the Slow Food Festival that took place in Clare recently and it features an interview with Michelin star chef JP McMahon from Galway's Anir restaurant. Geraldine will have her news from the kingdom but first we're going to meet someone who has been most ubiquitous at the recent food events as a result of her first publication. Let's hear from Val O'Connor about her new book Bread on the Table. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Pal, welcome back to Best Possible Taste. The last time you were here, you were talking about Limerick food trails. And last week, we heard a little bit from you in the report from Ballymaloo Lit Fest, where you were promoting your book, Bread on the Table. Tell us all about that. Hi, Sharon. It's nice to be back. Um, yeah, Bread on the Table is my first cookbook, published by O'Brien Press. Uh, came out officially on May the 1st. And um, you have to say I'm really happy with how it's going. How did the idea come come about to do a book about bread? Well, to tell you the truth, the idea didn't really come about to do a book about bread. I was looking for uh, for work, like a lot of people, in one of my skill sets, which uh, was food photography. You know, I was doing food. I was doing photography, food writing, uh, teaching cooking classes, food growing, and a lot of things. And I thought, you know, I'd like to do something that would move my. Um, I suppose that would move my food writing career a bit forward, uh, give me a bit of a stepping stone because I was at a point where I was going, well, there wasn't really much happening. So I put some food photos together on uh, a blog separate to my Val's Kitchen one. It was just valskitchen.com slash pictures. I sent that link out to three different publishers and two days later, one of them contacted me. Um, But he actually had an idea to do a book about bread bakers and uh, then he said that he read my blog and asked me if I'd be interested in writing the book as well. Sure, I was delighted. And uh, this is a publisher down in Cork. And uh, he asked me to do a few sample chapters, and I did that. And his idea really was to talk about bakers around the country, you know, artisan bakers and different ones. But then, unfortunately, a few weeks later, he rang me to say that uh, they weren't actually going to go ahead with the book because they'd invested a lot of money in a previous food title, and they made an economic decision to not go ahead with food books anymore and to take what I'd done and go to O'Brien Press in Dublin and see what they thought of it. So I did that and uh, Michael O'Brien is a very straight man and he said straight away I hate it. Who's going to buy a book about bakers because bakers come and go and he said excuse the pun but it wouldn't have much of a shelf life. So I was like (laughs) you know not impressed 
and he said um, what do you want from this book and my gut response really without thinking about it was I want that more people bake bread because I was already teaching workshops in growing your own food and because I was doing the classes I'm really into the teaching and the educational side of things so I said right so it's a cookbook I said well I suppose so and he said well go back to the drawing board and do up some sample recipes some nice art directed style photos he said if you say you can do the photography and the recipes then you know show us that you can because apparently a lot of people say that they can now your background is it in the food industry like are you a qualified chef did you do any formal training in Ballymaloo or anything like that or is your love of food and your gift for cooking and baking is that just something that is in you it's a gift that's a natural gift my uh, love of cooking and my ability to cook comes from the best place possible my mammy's kitchen and uh, my parents were both big into food. My dad had spent five years all over the world at sea. He was in the Merchant Navy as a radio officer. And um, when he got married to my mum, well, you know, I mean, it was just normal for us, but we were eating curries when we were babies and all sorts of exotic foods that were normal to us. And I have very vivid memories of spending days in the kitchen with my mum, constructing all sorts of elaborate cakes and, you know, painting dark chocolate onto leaves and things and you know just doing all that and yeah food was always a big deal and we had and I think a lot of people at the time you know they had part of their garden dedicated to growing food um, my dad used to make his own beer and his own wine you know my mom knitted jumpers and as I said to them if, if it was now they'd be you know river cottage and uh, but that was really common and that was in the 70s so um, that's where my love of food came from when I went off to college then I found being able to cook was a great skill that meant you didn't have to do a lot of dishes you know and you always had privileges if you could cook and I didn't go to chef school um, because uh, when I was in school a lot of the people who went to chefs who were encouraged to do chefing were uh, let's see what's the PC way of saying this troublemakers so I went to the other place where troublemakers went I went to art college and um, and I get into photography from there. The, the photographs then in the book of the, the breads and, and everything, are those all your own? Yeah. They're all my own pictures. And um, it was great to be able to do them because I think I did the book in a different process to how a lot of cookbooks are done. You know, I'd, I'd work on the recipe, get it how I wanted it. And then when the recipe worked, I'd sort of have to have an idea in my mind of what the photo was going to be like. So I'd have my props and ideas. But a lot of the time when the breads worked out really well I would just say you sort of have to act fast I mean you don't have to photograph them straight away but inevitably I would because there's an air of excitement the recipe worked you know get the picture together take the picture so then you could eat the bread and my my kids are 14 and 16 and they wanted to eat everything so now we have to say it's not just bread it might be bread related type dishes that are in it what's your favorite recipe in there hmm because there's things like pizza and French toast. Yeah, well, I guess the, the point there is that everything, I mean, everything is bread, is of bread, every single thing except for butter and even donuts. They're in there because they're made in the same way that you make dough. It's just a sweet dough. There's sugar and eggs in it, but it's still yeast. You still have to knead it and leave it rise. Um, I have a lot of different favorites. It just depends how I feel. My current favorite is uh, the easy oat bread which I've been making that a lot and literally you just mix up three different types of oatmeal with buttermilk, uh, bread soda and salt and a bit of butter and leave it rise. You don't have to leave it rise, you just leave it soak in the tin for about an hour and then you bake it. And it's just so simple and 
technically it's gluten free except they're they're not gluten free oats the only way oats have gluten in them is if they're transported in the same truck as wheat so if someone isn't celiac you know they can kind of approach that as a gluten free recipe and a really easy one and one that's very good for you and very cheap and uh, the nice thing about bread is it's a cheap thing to make if, even if you buy organic flour even if you buy organic spelt flour which is probably the most expensive one at the moment it's still a very cheap thing to make it just involves you using your own hands and after that all you need is an oven Now is this the first of many books for Val O'Connor? Definitely yeah um, I'm very happy to say that the the publishers have already um, decided that they'd like to do a, a more tourist version of the book so I've just gone back to it to uh, take some things out like you know baguettes and focaccia and stuff like that and I can do a little bit more on on the Irish stuff because there's a lot of traditional Irish things that I didn't even go into in this and um, I want to Irish up the photos a bit you know a bit more uh, landscape backgrounds and then there's going to be a a glossy paperback cover on it so it's a thinner volume it's easier for transport and um, we're about to uh, I'm also about to sign contracts for my next book which is going to be on a similar vein in that it's traditions for today, but it's a broader spectrum of cooking. And um, there's a lot of healthy stuff in there, but not maybe what we'd associate with healthy. You know, it's not quinoa and butternut squash. It's it's like old school techniques um, that are also very economical, a little bit of growing your own food fermentation and all those things that I love. But for, for someone living anywhere, it's not aimed at people living in you know, acres of rolling countryside. Are you thinking about it all the time, about what to put into the next one and the photography? Is it Does it consume you in a very positive yeah, way? Well, it excites me because today, you know, we had a farm walk in County Limerick uh, with a little milk company. You know, there's amazing people out there who are producing, you know, raw milk cheeses. And we saw, I was in uh, the Lystian Varna Slow Food Festival in Clare over the weekend. And just to see the work that people are doing out there and be, to be able to bring some of those things into a very hands-on, accessible cookbook, you know, really matters to me. So, yeah, I do get very excited about it. And I love, uh, for Bread on the Table, I love it when people bake the recipes and then they send me the pictures or they put them on Twitter. They say, we're baking this all the time. And I didn't know that I could make bread like this. And I'm so thrilled. And... Uh, Someone said, and I, I didn't put on any weight, <laughs> even though I ate the whole loaf. But, you know, it's unprocessed food, and it, it affects you in a totally different way. You mentioned the slow food movement there, which is something you're very passionate about, and you're trying to get that off the ground in Limerick at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Um, myself and Dorina had a chat there on Sunday. And that would be Dorina uh, Allen now, I just in case She's the only one in not who doesn't need familiar. mention her second name. But she's the leader of Slow Food Ireland and um, the whole slow food thing in Limerick kind of came to a standstill and I realised that I was the only uh, paid up member as such. So I've put a few feelers out already and um, yeah, there's interest and it's time to really get back to basics and start this off again from a grassroots level and link up with some interesting projects. You know, I'm talking to the Limerick Community Grocery Store and I've already got interest from a couple of... uh, you know, influential people in food, but who really care about the, uh, I suppose, more the educational side of things. And, um, yeah, so it's it's exciting times because someone asked me on the weekend, was the whole food thing a fad? And, I mean, well, food obviously can never be a fad because we eat every single day. But I think it's those years that we, we went through and the, the sort of, you know, the 
the foie gras years I mean well I never really did the foie gras years but uh, that time is over now and I think it's it's reaching out to everybody and um, just really bringing it back to basics which is fantastic well tell us where listeners can get hold of the book how much is it and where is it available from the book is a very democratically priced 20 euro very handy. No, 1999. Well, it is 1999. <laughs> <laughs> you, get a, you get a cent back. And uh, you can get it in O'Mahony's, in Limerick, Eason's, the Hunt Museum, and I've heard Galway and Ennis, and I'm delighted to say that the library in Limerick bought a bunch of copies there. So hopefully if other libraries um, take it on across the country, then, you know, if you don't have 20 euro, you can go and borrow it from the library and... Um, don't photocopy the whole thing <laughs> I don't mind as long as people get the recipes you know and uh, yeah just um, bread baking is a, is a very useful skill everybody likes bread well we wish you continued success with it and we look forward to hearing about your next step thank you Sharon cheers chin chin salut schleinte now, in addition to meeting Val O'Connor in the Burren at the Slow Food Clare Festival a few weeks ago, I also met Chef JP McMahon from the Michelin Star Restaurant Anir in Galway. JP did a very interesting and entertaining cookery demo, it has to be said, and I had the chance to talk to him after it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. JP, just tell us what you cooked up there in your demonstration. So we cooked two dishes that are on the uh, restaurant at the moment. We did a um, um, kind of slow poached egg with asparagus and uh, nasturtium uh, emulsion. And then we did a, a lamb with uh, some fermented barley and some sea vegetables. And what's your inspiration for these dishes? Oh, God, it's, it's a difficult question. Um, this like... There's myself uh, and my my head chef Alton. I mean, the two of us would um, would would be thinking about things. It's 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 hard, you know. So a lot of the dishes sometimes are product driven, where we get like a a new um, like a new vegetable, or we get a new cut of um, of beef or lamb, and then we I suppose try and put it together in a, in a way that um, allows the the meat to speak for itself. I know it sounds kind of like a philosophical but like we try not to cover things with too much sauce and to try like when we cook the vegetables that you can taste the vegetable as well as tasting the barley and the lamb so it's not just kind of like you get one flavor from the whole dish but I mean we're very influenced from like like Irish cooking and British cooking also kind of Nordic cooking as well I'd be very very interested in a lot of the stuff they're doing in um, in Sweden and Denmark and, and Finland I, I, um, I very much um, uh, I can look to when, when we're trying to come up with stuff but it's like what Ireland is such great products um, uh, primary products and it's just about kind of treating them with, uh, with enough respect that we allow the kind of flavour to shine through Now some of your comments during the demonstration there some people might construe those as a bit controversial you Ah sometimes I'm always trying to educate people um, I don't know which ones you think were controversial but Well you're very anti-pepper Oh, I wouldn't go so far as say anti-pepper. I just think that, um, and, he, and he, look, we have a Spanish restaurant, and, and pepper plays pepper plays a, a, um, a, like a big part in cooking. But I just think um, what happens with uh, with people is that uh, before they even taste it, they put pepper on it. And it even happens, it happens in a near, and they say, "Can I get pepper?" That before they even taste it, and like as I was saying, like the job of salt is to is to when you season something, you make it taste. Uh, 
uh, you make it taste better. Whereas pepper alters the flavor. So it's like it's it's more just about that people actually, I suppose, do a little bit more thinking when they're eating and not just kind of like putting it into their mouth, going, "Oh yeah, that's that flavor again." But because if you take pepper out, uh, I, I feel that uh, the, the the kind of flavor of the food kind of comes through better. And salt helps that flavor, whereas I think pepper changes the flavor. You have three different restaurants up absolutely. in Galway. They're all offering different types. Yeah, of so menus. It's, yeah, absolutely. We're all, it's like it's the same primary produce, so the same lamb, the same beef, and the same vegetables, and we have a gastropub. Uh, eat at Massimo's. We have a tapas bar, Cava, um, and then we have a Near, which is our, our our Michelin star restaurant. But all of them offer different different, uh, I suppose, aspects of the of the same food, like gastropub food, tapas, and then kind of contemporary fine dining. So, with with one of them being a Michelin star restaurant, would there be more pressure in the kitchen in that restaurant than say the tapas bar? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it's it's. Um, I mean, it's it's a, sometimes it's a labour of love in relation to um, the staff costs are a lot higher and like the customer base is a lot smaller. So I mean, for 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 doing like a 120 people in Cava, you um, you could do maybe 30 in a near, and you'd need more staff. So it, it's it's very. Um, uh, consuming in that respect, but it's also, I mean, it's 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 a great showcase, and we get the time to do like amazing things that people get to appreciate them, and all those things like um, take time and money, unfortunately. And but at least we have the the opportunity to do them, and the the star has helped us, uh, I suppose, widen our customer base, so we can, I suppose, we can uh, continue doing what we're doing. But definitely, uh, I mean, it, it's uh, it's um, it's it's difficult to to make money at a mission. Stars. Well, you were joking there that all you needed was a, a, squeezy, a squeezy bottle, bottle to absolute, get a Michelin star, but there is obviously oh, a lot more oh, goes absolutely. into it. Absolutely, a lot of time and effort, and 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 uh, and an awful lot of um, an awful lot of teamwork. But there is a kind of holistic thing that everything has to work. You know, when we think of stars in Ireland, we think of Patrick E. Bowes, and there are pubs in England with Michelin stars. So, so it's 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 more about the whole thing working together as a unit, as opposed to just oh, this is amazing food. Let's um, um, let's uh, let's try and get a start. Of course, the food is going to be the primary vehicle, but everything else has to kind of everything else has to follow through. Do you get a chance yourself to spend time in other people's restaurants? Oh, is that important? No, to you? absolutely, it's really important. I'm just back from uh, from a, a terroir convention at Toronto, and we um, we were cooking with um, uh, some Swedish chefs and some Canadian chefs. It's really really important. And like um, I have, I suppose um, I'm a great I, I'm a great uh, I've great belief in delegation. And I just think that if we were to if, if we were to grow as a as a as a as a group, the three restaurants, like I have a, a head chef in, in each of the kitchens, and it's really important that I, uh, I'm able to uh, like uh, trust in them and and say uh, and, and for them to run the restaurant as well. Because if it's what happens, I think sometimes is that you get one person attached to one place, and then it's just that's it can't do any more because you can only do as much as you can. Whereas I think it's very important for me, as I suppose the as a director of the of the of the restaurants, to try and get out and to meet people and to come to stuff like. Like the slow food in Clare and to talk to people like yourself and I mean that's just as important as cooking the food as well because if we don't have the customer base coming into the restaurant understanding what we're doing 
then it's very very difficult to uh, to convince them at the door when they're looking at the menu going oh I don't know so like the message and the like the public relations behind it is really really important for me and I, I, that's why I'm I constantly on the road like doing demonstrations just as this just trying to kind of engage with um, with like people who like might even consider ever going to a restaurant who might just say oh I want to just like learn how to cook better and you have a cookery school we have a, cook- a little cookery school in in uh, in a near um Maximum students about six to eight, so it's a little boutique cookery school. But we won, we won the kind of Good Food Ireland award last year, um, and it's about two and a half years there now. But it's really nice because you get people in so at all levels. We have sometimes chefs who want to come in and learn like how we do things in the year, and also um, uh, like anyone, like uh, people who just cook at, cook at home to students. To actually, we had a sixteen-year-old who was doing his, uh, uh, who was in fifth year, who just loved cooking, and he came and did the course, and he was absolutely amazing. He was only uh, fifteen or sixteen. Evan really really great um, great kid I think he's actually came in for a whole summer then to do a stage in there for one day a week and um, like it's uh, it's really amazing I, lo- I love like seeing the effect of uh, either if it's a one day or a six week um, of seeing the effect that the, how people's attitudes towards food changes and, and most of the time I think it's just about giving it a bit more time and be spending a little bit more on the primary product to get more out of it so I always think it's like a, um, like an economic investment do you know I think if we buy better we don't, we don't need as much particularly in relation to say I think chicken is probably like something we, we eat too much of in Ireland and we buy way too much I think it's like 100,000 chickens killed a day in Ireland uh, and we just eat it like for like I don't know if we don't eat for breakfast but absolutely lunch and dinner and maybe even in between those and like if we spent a couple more euro on the chicken and only had it three times a week I think we'd be better off and then chicken practice would be better and then the whole industry would benefit but if, if people don't change their mind well then the 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 uh, industry is going to keep supplying the people so whatever they want is going to keep supplying it so if everyone's buying chicken they're going to keep producing chickens and like we need to kind of cut into the into the the network uh, somehow and so I think so it's very very important I, I always say and it's very very difficult because I mean I shop in supermarkets as well but I always say in the classes it's really important to try and to, to get, get to know a fishmonger to get to know a butcher I mean or, or, or a farmer if you're uh, who sells from the farm it's really really important because then you can connect like better I'm not going to say you can have some ultimate uh, primary connection like it's just that you can connect better and know a little bit more about where your meat comes from and I don't think in the supermarket having a sticker on it saying oh, this, this meat comes from X, Y or Z like that's for me that's not enough like because you don't know how long it's been in the packet you don't know what, what condition it was when it went into the packet it could be in the packet two weeks so like it, there's loads and loads of things that you can um uh, you can avoid but definitely um, like knowing get, getting to know a butcher or knowing a, a vegetable grocer I mean there aren't any vegetable grocers unfortunately but I mean there's a few we have a few vegetable suppliers and they are growing with Green Earth Organics like Stephen Gould and they're doing those um, boxes to people's houses and I think that's brilliant because then you just get and you have to deal with it you have a certain responsibility to use up that vegetable rather than going into the supermarket all the time and just buying the same vegetables all of the time now I know I'm guilty of it as well because when you've got two kids and they're hanging out it's difficult but all I'm saying is just if we make a few little changes then we'll be we'll be better off well you have the three restaurants in Galway at the moment any plans to move beyond that particular county you never know you never know we're we're like contemplating Um, I'd love to do a place in Dublin I'd love to do a place in London as well but I mean I think for the moment um, I'd like to try and think about um, try and think about Dublin um, possibly JP thanks so much for talking to me continued success thanks very much cheers 
The best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM is delighted to offer you the chance to win two tickets to the Electrolux Taste of Dublin. From June the 12th to the 15th, fine dining will be transported to Ivy Gardens with Taste of Dublin for four days of summer eating, drinking and entertainment. If you would like to be in with a chance of winning a pair of tickets to attend the afternoon session on Saturday the 14th of June, all you have to do is email s.noonan at live.ie the name of your favourite fine dining dish. Deadline for entries is this Sunday the 8th of June. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Still to come tonight, I chat with Molly Hutchinson about Taste of Dublin, Helen McDade about food events happening throughout the country, but next up, it's Geraldine O'Sullivan's report from the Kingdom. Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats from the Kingdom. I'm in Dingle, the home of Murphy's Ice Cream, and we're joined by Kieran Murphy, who's one of the co-founders. Welcome, Kieran. Welcome. Hi, I'm very welcome. Thank you. And um, I'm very glad you had me on, so thanks for inviting me. No worries. Um, I'm sure many people have heard of Murphy's Ice Cream, but can you give us a little insight into the background in terms of how the business started? Sure, yeah. Um, I grew up in New York uh, with my family there. My father had emigrated over for work. And so I had Irish citizenship, but um, I went to school there. And I suppose I reached a point in my career, I was director of marketing for a software company. And it was exciting in one way and, and very unfulfilling in another. And, and I just I just didn't really enjoy it after, after the initial buzz wore off. So I was looking for something else to do. And, and my parents ended up buying a house back here in Dingle. And I was in my office and just outside Boston and I kept on thinking about this empty house uh, in Dingle and it seemed an awful waste and so I just quit the job and came over and, and my, I never planned to really stay here but um, it was just a, a bit of time out and after some time being here I, I thought you know this is kind of nice it's a, it's a good quality of life it's a it's a lovely place to be so I started thinking about maybe what I could do to to justify myself staying here <laughs> yeah um, and uh, it just seemed to me like if you're gonna start up your own business it's gonna be very difficult in times probably and and so it's really best if it's something you're passionate about and that you really love just to keep you going and and so when I started thinking about things that I really loved um, it would be sort of ice cream coffee chocolate things along those lines and and so I thought why not and at the time as well there was very little um, artisan food in terms of ice cream I guess there, there was the cheesemakers in West Cork there was starting to become a sort of I don't know resurgence of food in Ireland but it, it also seemed to tie in really well to that it seemed like it was a really good time to, to start and so I convinced my brother to move over from California where he was living at the time and driving around in a convertible in the sunshine and convinced him to come to Ireland and, and he did and, and so he started up the company in 2000. And would you have considered yourself a risk taker? You know a lot of people might think that was risky moving from the, the States to the outback in West Kerry. Yeah I guess so. I'm not afraid of risk I guess. I'm not afraid to fail. Um, 
I don't know. I like a challenge. I like something something new and exciting. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm not reckless. I don't think. But <laughs> calculated risks. I guess. Yeah. yeah. How has the business developed? Well, when we first started, we had the production in the back of the shop and. And so um, we used to make the ice cream there, and that was really handy because, like a lot of people are doing now with farmers markets, there weren't really farmers markets per se at the time. And this was our little lab. It was immediate feedback from customers in terms of what they liked and what they didn't like. And so, if we wanted to try something out, we could we could have that kind of immediacy in terms of knowing if it was going to work or not, if it was a good idea or a bad idea. Um, so that kind of went on until um, I guess about 2003 we decided to try to go into supermarkets a bit and part of it was also that it was, it's very hard when you're in a rural area like Dingle to get into the national consciousness and and we kept on you know if, when we approached the press or tried to get a story written about us they always said well that's kind of a travel story and we're like no this is a food story but kind of if you couldn't yeah. get it in Dublin it wasn't really a story and so we thought hmm that's another good reason to do it is just try to build a brand presence by being there and so we went up and we and we um, we started doing some tubs and, and we had to then uh, move out of the back of the shop at that stage so we took a, a small production facility um, with the help of Uthras and Aguelsa to here and and started started filling some tubs and, and doing the shops and, and my brother got in the van and did an awful lot of driving around and it did work in a sense like uh, once we got to Dublin we were kind of noticed at that point and, and so that was really really helpful also for our Dingle shop yeah so it took off from there yeah and then I guess the next big stage was we opened Killarney in 2005 and so that was a big jump up for us and um you know, the challenges you can't sort of have everything under your own control in the way the minute you have a second shop was a very, very difficult step. And it took us a, a good long time to digest that move and work it all through. So I guess we've kind of been slow and steady. We then opened up a shop in Dublin in 2010. So I guess we're kind of every five years, <laughs> maybe we're doing another move next year. And in terms of your key markets now, are you selling to Ireland? Or are you selling abroad also? Yeah, we're, we're not selling abroad at the moment, but we would dearly love to open up a shop abroad and so hopefully that'll happen within the next few years um, with a bit of luck we've been talking to partners and we almost went into Japan in 2010 but it was the 2001 was the tsunami anyway when the tsunami hit <laughs> so it was very bad timing and that that put a stop to that um, but yeah Ireland is very fantastic country but very small and it would be fun to be in a, in a bit of a bigger market so we've been looking a bit at France at Germany um, obviously Japan and just to see how we could take the next step there find the right place I guess yeah yeah. and in terms of ingredients then that you use in your, your ice cream where do you source those products um, it's changed over the years we're going more and more um, simple I suppose in a way and maybe more and more Irish as well we don't use flavorings anymore per se we just use the real thing and so we used to find it very difficult to source, you know, mint, you know, a decent mint flavor. But then we started just using real mint. And, and it's kind of gone that way. It's been quite a while now, but it's really, it, it's gone almost completely, well, it has gone completely to, to just using the real thing in it. So, yeah, strawberry is strawberry and our dingle gin is dingle gin. Yeah. <laughs> and our rum is only rum and raisins and... 
and so it's just that simple and um, it's it feels really really good um, so we try we try to use Irish where possible local where possible but we really want to make the best ice cream in the world and because of that you know sometimes we'll choose things that come from abroad obviously there's no vanilla plants in Ireland so we get our vanilla beans from abroad chocolate as well but you know as things develop and as things progress um, it seems to be more and more possible to to do that and to, to use maybe local people or Irish people or things with a bit of a story to it and the way we think about it also is I don't know where 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 was the history of, of food in Ireland where, where did we come from sort of and what was done before can we use it for example now we have a toasted oat flavor um, which we take the oats and we toast them with dark brown sugar so it's almost caramelizing them and has a bit of a I guess a granola taste but toasting it brings out a lovely nuttiness as well but oats would have been the primary grain um, before wheat became so widely available sort of wheat was for the elite but everybody would have been eating oats mm. yeah so it's kind of fun to, to try to see what was here what can we what can we tie into you know what can we use that was here before us and what's your innovation process how do you decide okay we'll go with this particular flavor well we collect ideas I suppose and they come from customers from the team from me thinking about things from my brother and then when it comes to kind of planning out the flavors we just look at that list and we think what would be a good balance in in the cabinet what would be a nice flavor array also what's exciting and does it fit with our overall ethos you know can we make an, a story of it and sometimes things come to us like we have a dingle gin ice cream now which the dingle distillery opened up and they started making gin and it's a it's a lovely product and JPR production manager really wanted to make a gin flavored ice cream and I thought it sounded like a terrible idea gin and ice cream but he mm -hmm. made a little sample batch of it and and trialed it in the shop brought it into the shop and there was great excitement over it <laughs> so um, we then worked with them to do a cold distillation over a few weeks to to bring up the flavors of juniper and, and coriander and the other some of the other things that they put in their gin and so it's a really special product so it can work like that as well just what happens to be here or or what strikes their fancy at any given time i don't know if it's very scientific it is in a way i suppose because we do have enough experience we've tried so many flavors we kind of know what'll work and what won't and then we also have the patience to know that it takes a long time sometimes for flavors to really embed and in terms of running a business what advice would you give to those food producers thinking of starting a food related business um, well the very first thing is settle in for the long haul I suppose don't be discouraged it takes a long long time and there'll be a lot of things that'll that'll stop you or that'll get in your way and so that's one I suppose is just if you decide to do it maybe make sure that you have the mental resource and maybe the economic resources, maybe that's impossible, but certainly the mental resource to say, I'm not gonna just try this for the next six months. You know, you really, if you really wanna do it, you know, do it seriously and style try it for the next five years. The clearer your vision is, maybe the easier it is. So figure out exactly, if possible, what you want to do. So if you wanna go sell your grandma's brownies recipe, yeah, that's kind of cool. And you might say, well, they're the best brownies in the world, but 
you'll find that people don't necessarily care and they might not even agree. <laughs> yeah. They might think their own grandmother's brownies recipes were better. So, you know, why are you doing that? Why is the brownie important? Why, you know, what do you think you can sort of bring to the world with that product? And the more you can think about that, I think the easier you'll find it uh, to go. The other thing is, um, you know, the, the whole landscape's changing so much. And so it makes it in some ways a tricky time to go into food and so I think you just have to be flexible I mean the supermarkets are changing so rapidly there's a whole growth in online I think we haven't even seen the beginning of this in the country but when I, I've traveled to New York in the summertime and, and I think something like 40% of their groceries now come online and so there's these massive changes that are happening and I think it, you know rather than set a goal of I want to be in I don't know 20 supermarkets or 50 supermarkets maybe just say I want a goal of growing to this size and then trying to see what works and what doesn't work and follow that path and in terms of listeners who would like to contact you what's the best way to do that well um, we have a Facebook page so Murphy's Ice Cream on Facebook or at Kieran Murphy on Twitter or through our website has all our emails on it or which is murphysicecream.ie or I have a blog which is icecreamireland.com so there's a, a lot, a lot of ways <laughs> or just stop in the shop it's one of our shops that'd be the best way and say hi cheers chin chin salut schleinter Lucky Geraldine getting to try all that ice cream and I'm sure there will be lots of ice cream at Taste of Dublin. Let's hear what Molly Hutchinson had to say about that. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Another great event is coming up in Dublin and that is Taste of Dublin which takes place in the wonderful setting of Ivy Gardens from Thursday the 12th to Sunday the 15th of June. To tell us more I have Taste of Dublin's event coordinator Molly Hutchinson on the line. Good evening Molly. Hi, how are you? We are great here. How are you this evening? I'm great, thanks. Great, thanks. Very, very busy, but we're all very excited for the event now coming up. I was just going to say to you, you must be extremely busy getting all the preparations, getting everything in place for Taste of Dublin. Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's, we're in the last run up now, but um, it's very exciting and the whole team are really excited to see the event come together. Now, it's very different from, um, it's very different to, I should say, other food festivals. Just explain to the listeners what Taste of Dublin is. So Taste of Dublin is a food festival which is held in the Ivy Gardens from June 12th to 15th in Dublin. Um, And basically it is a collection of some of the top restaurants in Ireland, um, some of the top chefs in Ireland and the UK, um, and some of our over 100 artisan producers. So um, basically we have restaurants such as um, Chapter One, Rock Lobster, um, newcomers like Brioche, we have the Wineport Lodge, um, and then we also have chefs um, like Derry Clark, Darina and Rachel Allen, um, Kevin Poynton, and this year we have just announced that Michelle Rue Jr. is going to be joining us. Now, those are all the real names of food. Do the restaurants and chefs have to be of a certain calibre to be there on the day? Well, we do have um, an invitation policy with Taste of Dublin just because it is such a huge event and so many restaurants want to be involved. Um, So we try to um, promote up-and-coming restaurants through our newcomer slot, which is going to be held by Brioche this year. Um, And we also try to take some from um, Nationwide as well. So we have the Wineport Lodge coming as well. Um, And then we have lots of Dublin restaurants of it coming. 
And the restaurant saying that are there, just explain to the listeners what happens whenever they go in the restaurant setting. is It's quite different from anything people might have experienced before. Yeah, so basically it is kind of a pop-up restaurant um, stop for the restaurants. Um, so each restaurant would provide... Um, the visitors with three signature dishes to choose from. Um, the dishes range from four to seven euro, um, and they're really just small bites and uh, kind of a flavour of some of the bigger dishes you would get in the restaurant. So the concept is is that you would come in and you would try um, small bites from lots of different restaurants. Um, so like Chapter One are bringing a dessert bar this year. So maybe some people wouldn't have had an opportunity to visit Chapter One before. So this is kind of a more accessible way to visit the restaurant. And then in terms of payment, you have a, is it a florin system going? Yeah, so we have an on-site florin system, which is um, Taste um, Taste Festivals is a global, um, is a global brand. And um, this uh, florin system is something that is global. So basically it um, just ensures that everyone on site is um, in kind of in team with the event um, and it's a little bit of excitement as well to buy your florins on site and then be spending them while you're there. Now you mentioned there that it is a global brand how did it all start? Well it started in 2005 in Taste of London so um, London was the first Taste Festival um, and they created this concept um, that they wanted to have a restaurant festival and from then it's really really grown and grown. Uh, Dublin was the second festival, uh, Taste Festival, to be announced. So we started in 2006 in Dublin Castle. Um, So we're in our ninth year this year, and from then on out, it's grown and grown globally. We're in over 23 cities worldwide now. And why do you think it's so popular? Uh, Well, I think that um, there are so many people who enjoy food, foodies as we would call them. And even in this day and age, you can see that even the celebrities are becoming more and more famous and becoming real icons um, of their art. Also, I think, um, as I said earlier, it makes the restaurants accessible to people who maybe haven't had an opportunity to go to visit them. Um, And it gives you an opportunity to visit 20 of the top restaurants um, in the country at, at one event so it's fantastic I think restaurant festival is a great way to describe it and you also mentioned there that there's going to be a number of artisan producers on the day yeah so we have um, over 100 artisan producers um, we have two who are representing the Limerick crowd um, so we have Pandora Bell who will be there doing luxury chocolates and we also have Shodine Jewellery who have a sh- shop in Limerick as well well, that's great to see Limerick represented there and, the and, <laughs> and hopefully in the coming years we might see a Limerick restaurant there as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I mean, it is, it's um, a v- very, um, it's, the event is in high demand amongst the restaurants. So we do try to mix up the lineup year on year. So um, we will be certainly scanning around the nation for more restaurants as the years go on. So the pop-up restaurants, the artisan food producers, there's cookery demonstrations as well. Yeah, so we have live cookery cookery demonstrations on our Electrolux Taste Theatre and our Electrolux Chef Secrets um, and we also so we have chefs like uh, Michelle Rue Jr., 
Tom Kitchen, um, and we also have the Allen or the Rachel and Darina Allen coming up, um, and they will all be taking part in live demos where you can either watch them cook or you can cook along with them on interactive features. Oh gosh, I think there's some people would jump at the opportunity to have the chance to do that. Absolutely, it's hugely, hugely popular, and all of those are free to register for, um, and you just register when you arrive on site in the day. So the earlier you come, the more chance you have. Well, you operate nearly like a two-sitting type format. Tell us about that. So we do two sessions per day, um, with the exception of Thursday, which we only have our evening sessions. So there are seven sessions in total. Um, So they run from 12 to 4. Um, and half five to half nine. So it essentially just allows you to have um, a day festival and an evening festival. There would be quite a different crowd at each one. Um, and the audiences then get to take part in all the different activities. And you can actually choose. We have all of our timetables up online now. So you can choose which session you might like to go to based on who you would like to see. It is a ticketed event and there are different options there depending on the experience that you want to have. I noticed that on the website. For example, if you're heading with your family, there's special attractions on the Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Yeah, well, on the Saturday and Sunday afternoon, we're having our family days and in particular we will be activating this on the Sunday as it is Father's Day so we would be encouraging everyone nationwide to travel up to Dublin and also the Dublin audience to come and visit us on the Sunday um, and have a day out with the family to celebrate Father's Day the Hamleys will be on site um, with their to, with some activities for the children we'll also have some specialised um, interactive features for the children on the day Yeah it's great to have them entertained mm, Absolutely in terms of cost then let's talk about how much the tickets are yeah so tickets start from 15 euro and as you mentioned earlier it really depends on the experience that you want um, we have so 15 euro tickets will get you standard entry um, and it depends on which session you want to book in for um, the tickets are available from our website um, on www.tasteofdublin.ie um, we also have VIP packages and we have a style afternoon on the Friday afternoon so it really depends you need to go and check out the website and see what you're looking for and what you'd like to do a style afternoon sounds like there's fashion shows yeah so well we're doing our style afternoon in association with Dundrum and Harvey Nichols so we'll be having prizes for the best uh, the most stylish female and male um, and there's some excellent prizes up for grabs on the day well it's a few years since I've been but I did thoroughly enjoy it the last time I was there so definitely a great day out for the family now whenever you you have all those nice attractions for the children but equally a, a nice girly night out as well absolutely there really is something for everyone and um, if you check out the website you can definitely see that and just to remind listeners that the website is tasteofdublin.ie and all the information is there all of the information is there Molly thanks so much for talking to us thanks this evening and all the best with it <laughs> see you now bye 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 bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm The best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM is delighted to offer you the chance to win two tickets to the Electrolux Taste of Dublin. From June the 12th to the 15th, fine dining will be transported to Ivy Gardens with Taste of Dublin for four days of summer eating, drinking and entertainment. 
If you would like to be in with a chance of winning a pair of tickets to attend the afternoon session on Saturday the 14th of June, all you have to do is email s.noonan at live.ie the name of your favourite fine dining dish. Deadline for entries is this Sunday the 8th of June. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Fulcher Ireland has come on board with best possible taste to keep us all informed about what food-related events are taking place throughout Ireland on a monthly basis. Helen McDade is Fulcher Ireland's food tourism manager and she's on the line now. Good evening, Helen. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great, thanks. Now, Helen, June has already started with a bang thanks to events such as Culture and Chips, Bloom and the Irish Coffee Festival having taken place last weekend. But what else do we have to look forward to this month? Well, I wish I could cover all of it, actually. We have lots going on. I thought maybe I'd take maybe something from every weekend just to kind of give a sample of around the country, if that's okay. Perfect. I thought I would start up in the Boyne Valley, and they do a great series of events. And what they have going on on the 7th of June, which is a Saturday, they have a Mead Food Safari. So it's a great foodie day out, and basically you'll hop on the Bia bus and they'll take you around some of uh, Mead's um, artisan producers, you'll go to Whole Hogs, you'll go to Burke's Farm Ice Cream, you'll go to the Goat's Cheese, you'll go to New Grains Oils, and then to finish it all off, you'll have a lovely barbecue in Boynes in Slane. A safari to such a novel idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's great actually. I'm sure it's all organised for you. All you have to do is, is, is get on the bus, and I mean, it is 30 euro per person, but that includes the bus, it includes the tour, it includes tastings, and it includes the barbecue at the end of the day. Sounds great. Mm, yeah, it's a great day out. So, yeah, so any information on that, if you look at the Boyne Valley Food Series and just Google that and you'll be able to find it. Lovely. And then for the next weekend, we're going to move over to the northwest, up to Sligo, where we have the So Sligo Food Festival, and that's on from the 11th to the 15th. And what they've done this year, they've kind of extended it a wee bit, and it's Yates' birthday on June 12th. So they've kind of incorporated the food and the cultural element as well, and they have the Yates Nobel dinners and um, all sorts of different cultural things. They have um, movies included as part of it. They have a pop-up restaurant at the model um, at the model museum. So they, they've integrated lots of different things, and actually a couple of the things they've done, which I think is really interesting. There's a shanty festival at Ross's Point that same weekend. So literally, people come from all over the world. They come in and sing shanty tunes. So they're incorporating that as part of the food festival. And you can also go on lots of kind of wild, wild food adventures. There is uh, a two-day uh, where you spend the first day, you can go to the, one of the parks in Sligo, and you'll forage for food in the park. And then you'll go back and that afternoon, and they'll give you ideas on how to cook it. And then you'll have dinner that night in Oster Cafe with some of the, the foods that were gathered. And then the next day you go and do the same thing by the seaside. And you'll go and do uh, seaweed foraging. Now, of course, Helen, you're like myself from the north and you maybe grew up with dulse the same way as I did, which is a form of seaweed which has come hugely popular over the past recent years. Absolutely. And I mean, it's a huge health benefit. I mean, it's so good for you. In fact, one of the things they're doing, there's a lady, Pani Ratigan, and she wrote a book about seaweed, brilliant book, but she knows everything about seaweed. But she's actually doing one of the walks it's on Tuesday the 12th of June but then she's actually hooking up with a chef from Turban restaurant and then they're actually going to cook the mussels and the seaweed all al fresco 
so then you can have it on the beach once you're done. That sounds great. All they need is the good weather, so fingers crossed yeah, for that. Yeah, I think if it's raining now, they might be steaming more than more than. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That here. Um, we're going to move now to actually this is a new one. It's be above, be a be a lover, if I could speak correctly, and it's in Athenry, and this is going to be on the twentieth. 22nd of June and they say this is the first year they've done it and it's really nice actually it's going to be a real kind of family um, family day and they're going to have a huge producers market I think they have about 70 stalls there but they're also going to do farm walks and producer talks and they have a lovely thing for primary school children where the kids are going to be encouraged to read a book off Scalica and then bake a cake themed on the book which I thought was a lovely idea. Very novel. Yeah, and then there's also something obviously we can't forget about the teenagers, and there's a photo, a food photo competition for all the secondary food, food, uh, school students, and then all the competition entries and all will be displayed locally all over the weekend. So I thought that was a great way to get everybody involved. Absolutely, yeah. And then that later that same weekend, you know, that's actually the summer solstice weekend. Um, and I thought this was interesting. Up in the Burn, up in just outside Ballyvaughan in Burn uh, Fine Wine and Food, and they're having a summer solstice evening party. And this is taking place on the 23rd of June and starts at midnight. So you don't want to be going to work the next day. No. <laughs> so they're going to have they could be, they have a beautiful menu of all the, the Burn local produce, and then they have a... Um, Sean Terrell, who's a well-known uh, folk singer, musician and composer, and he'll be the entertainment in the evening. And it's actually, if it's a nice evening, they're going to do it all outdoors. Another evening. And to be honest now, the Burren is not that far from West Limerick with the tunnel and everything there. You can be there in an hour and a half, not a bother. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. And I mean, it's so lovely, but I just thought it was so novel to be doing an event starting at midnight. I don't know about you, Sharon, but I'm normally well up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Mind you, if I didn't have to get up the next morning, I could be very tempted. Um, now, we'll move on now to Westport. Now, this is a festival of music and food. Excuse me, and they have a huge music festival in Westport every year. Now, this is on the last weekend in June. This is the 28th and the 29th. Um, and again, now you can find all of these all of these festivals and all the details on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. But this one, they have obviously the music festival, but then um, they've also set up a food village. Food and Wine magazine have set up a, a, a separate village. And Nora Casey is going to be hosting the chef's kitchen there. And they're going to be doing other oh, demonstrations from all sorts of Rachel Allen and Doreen Allen and Ross Lewis and Derry Clark and Seamus Cummins and Nakrana House and like there's loads of different demos. There's great food. Uh, there's going to be great food stalls there. There'll be great producers there. So uh, whenever you're whenever you're tired, listen to music. You can come and taste great food and maybe learn a trick or two in the kitchen and then go back to your next concert. So that'll be a nice a nice mix. And you've mentioned some big names there. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. And I mean, I, like, I mean, I would cook a fair wee bit now, but I always find even with these demos, like you'll always pick up something. Absolutely, yeah, I agree yeah. totally. There'll always be something. You'll be like, oh yeah, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoy them, I have to say, because um, you, you get great ideas from them. And then also that last weekend in June, we have the flavours of Fingal. And this is about the third year now that this one's been going but this is a great family day out and it's actually been held in Newbridge House and Farm up there in Dunabate just off the M1 um, and it's, it's very much a family orientated event I mean obviously they have the, the food element 
where they have the walled garden there and there'll be talks about the walled garden. Um, they'll have loads of the producers exhibiting. Now they also have like a farm and a petting farm for the kids. So they'll have, um, oh, they'll have the, the sheep and the poultry and they're going to be doing sheepdog trials and they're going to have a bit of an equestrian show and they can even check out the dog's agility shows. So if you're bringing your doggy with you, you need to put him through his paces before he goes. Um, there'll be loads of like magic shows and bouncy castles and face painting fun fairs and all of that type of thing. So that's a really nice day out as well. And that is happening on the 28th and 29th of June from 11th. Well, Helen, lots of different events there. Something for everybody, I'd say. And we appreciate you coming on to tell us all about them. And as you said, there are details for all the events highlighted can be found on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. Perfect. We'll talk to you again in July. Okay, thanks, Sharon. Bye. Thanks, Helen. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. That's all we have time for this evening. Before I go, I must wish the best of luck to everyone shortlisted in the Restaurant Association of Ireland Awards. Don't forget to enter our competition for the tickets to Taste of Dublin. I'll be tweeting the details up until the closing date, which is this Sunday, the 8th of June. So follow me at Queen of Org, short for organisation, if you need a prompt with that. If you missed any of the programme tonight or a previous one, you'll find it all up there on soundcloud.com. Just have a look for Food and Drink Show and you'll see us there. Thanks for your company tonight to producer Geraldine O'Sullivan and all of tonight's guests. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 8 o'clock and until then, bon appétit.